up, everybody? How are my quitters doing? It is another beautiful, snowy day in Brooklyn. It is coming down outside right now. It is February 7th, 2021. This is another episode of Don't Quit Your Day Job. You know me. I am your host, Maxim Allen. And today, my guest is someone I recently met at a... um, probably illegal indoor comedy show (laughs) 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 but uh this person is a uh a recent transplant to new york as we all were at some point but today my guest is really into theater performing i don't know if he does musicals i'll ask later but theater (laughs) acting so today please welcome zechariah williams thank you for having me I appreciate yeah. it, man. Thank you. Audience claps. They're all <laughs> that's what they do when people listen on their commute. They clap in their car at their steering wheel. <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, welcome. So uh, yeah, when I I met you at this comedy show, you uh-huh. mentioned that you've been doing theater like your whole life for a no, long time. So theater, yeah. Let's just get into it. So, yeah, yeah. Theater is interesting. Um, I grew up Kansas City, not yeah. too far from where you grew up, right? Yeah, Denver. And, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of the same kind of lifestyle, you mm-hmm. know, like middle class. You like, you know, I mean, that's the goal, right? The goal is just to get like a white collar job, be middle class. Right. Uh, so I went to college. I went to the University of Kansas, mm-hmm. uh, Rock Chalk Jayhawk, right? Okay. And uh, so <laughs> I... Uh, Wait, is that the is University of Kansas? That's that's the one that's like a bird with like a blue body. And right, the okay. Jayhawks. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Jayhawks, that's what it is. Right. right. And so I go <laughs> there... And originally, I was going to study business. Okay. Because I'm just thinking, like, I'm going to go to college and do business. And outside of making a few funny videos with, like, my brother growing up. Yeah. Even then, that was never regular. It was just, like, random. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never even thought about, like, performance or anything like that. Yeah. So, I want to get into business school. Mm-hmm. And so, I go, oh, let me take some easy classes my first semester <laughs> so I can pad my GPA. Yeah, yeah. And so, really, I started, I took acting one um at college with laura kirk was her name mm-hmm. i was the teacher who uh i still know today and um i'm doing the class thing is gonna be easy right and it ends up not being that easy because i'm thinking easy in terms of like we're just gonna mess around yeah and then you get in the class and they're like oh no we actually we're gonna study lines and learn no. about craft and yeah. like you're actually gonna have to try in this class and <laughs> i was like oh okay um so anyways uh laura kirk was really nice and uh gassing me up and giving me mm-hmm. confidence and uh i remember she had invited me to her office hours and she was like, hey, we have a play coming up. I think that you should audition for. And I think you'd be really good for it. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm not really into the whole, like, acting thing. Like, I never saw myself that way. Like, I didn't, you know, I was never, like, a theater kid or any of yeah, that stuff. Yeah. And so I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. But she's like, well, go ahead and audition. And she's like, you know, I actually think, like, you'd be really good at this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, someone telling you you're good at something is, like, usually enough. Especially when you're, what, 18 at the time to be like, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. This is what I'm supposed to do with my life. <laughs> uh, so I auditioned. For the play, it was called Intimate Apparel. Mm-hmm. I got it. Um, do the play. What was what was the, what's the like? What's the play about? And what role did you get? <laughs> so Intimate Apparel is it's set in 1905. Yeah, it's made by um, Lynn Nottage. Okay. Um, yeah, Lynn Nottage wrote it, and um, it's about a seamstress mm-hmm. um, in 1905, a black seamstress who you know tailors clothes for rich white women okay and she falls into a love affair with the character i play george armstrong who okay. is uh currently digging the panama canal interesting yeah working okay. so the whole first act of the play is i'm not even in the scenes but at the end of every scene they put like a i'm on a platform so it's called black um alleyway seating so it's a black box theater which is like a small theater mm-hmm. literally just a black box and then you okay. can set up the seating any way you want okay and we did alleyway seating. 
So you had the stage, and for people who are listening, try to imagine this, is you have a stage in the middle. Okay. And then on each side, you have stands for seating. Okay, gotcha. So picture like a football stadium, but without the end zone seating. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. alleyway seating. Oh, interesting. Right. That would be the worst way to do comedy. <laughs> It'd be weird, right? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, so then it's interesting because then you have to block out the scenes with like kind of like a film almost because it's like this audience behind, like let's say we're facing each other like we are now. Yeah. Like, the audience behind you can only really see me. Right. And so the audience behind me can only see you. So it's very interesting way to start off doing theater. But um yeah, basically I play George Armstrong. He's working on the Panama Canal. Um the first act, I'm just have a spotlight on me doing monologues. Yeah. Just like off stage, like by myself. <laughs> very first time acting in front of people. Yeah. Very like I remember shaking. <laughs> um and then the first scene, the first act, I tell this story because this is funny. Uh, the first act ends with a love scene, right? Mm. So the first time I'm like actually on the stage is when, uh, I mean, I can't remember her name in the play, but uh, we, we get married. Okay. And at the end of the first act, we have like a consummation scene. Mm. Uh, so we had to choreograph. She has, it's 1905. So she has mm-hmm. this like corseted wedding dress yeah. that has like a, you know, a modern zipper on the back. So it's easy to get out of, but it also has this like lacing mm-hmm. how they would have back in the day. Right. And in the choreography, they wanted me to like in a sexy way, right? Like <laughs> unlace the back of her corset. <laughs> and I remember one night, the director sitting in the front row. I remember for some reason I ended up looking right at him when this happened. Is we do the whole scene, we kiss, whatever. I go behind her to take off her corset. I get the thing unlaced, and then I'm pulling the zipper down, and it gets caught in the fabric. Mm-hmm. But the scene can't go on <laughs> because part of the reason I'm taking it off is so she can get into her costume change. Right, right, right. So it's like if this doesn't happen, we can't even move to the next scene because she can't get out of her outfit. Right. So I'm standing on stage for what felt like an eternity. Mm-hmm. struggling with this <laughs> you know yeah her like <laughs> her corset people in the audience are like man she waited for this dude to come all the way from panama he can't even get her undressed now <laughs> and it's like man that was my first play ever i remember that was so embarrassing but awesome at the same time because did, did you get through it okay did, did you eventually like, get it on i just ripped it down they had to fix it <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i remember the costume lady was mad at me oh wow yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then i remember afterwards scott knowles was the name of the director and mm-hmm. he I remember he, he walks up to me afterwards to give notes and he's like yeah you were like visibly shaking on stage when that happened <laughs> i'm like why would you tell me that oh my gosh. <laughs> how does that help my confidence i think yeah it's that's that's rough though did, how long did it take you to kind of get over the shakes on stage um i think that I mean, I feel like I still have them. Yeah. People tell me I'm not shaking, mm-hmm. but I feel it. Just that nervousness you yeah. feel. I mean, even doing stand-up, right? You walk on stage and I'm sure you feel... You know what? For me, being honest, what it was is the bubble guts. The bubble guts. Is how my nervousness manifests itself. Yeah. It's the bubble guts. Is <laughs> okay. I like that I word. <laughs> had to take the most massive of shits before oh. every performance. It could be like I didn't eat all day. And yeah. then 10 minutes, I'm in the wing. I see the crowd and all of a sudden, I have to take... Just, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm talking about there are times before shows I took maybe four. Oh my gosh. Because that's just how my anxiety manifests itself, Woo! right? It's like, when, no it's, like, it's like drinking a ton of coffee is what yeah. it felt like. And then as soon, this happened every time, even today, as soon as I'm up there, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. But it's just that anticipation of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, I, I totally yeah. know how you feel. I, I never have the, the shits from nervousness, yeah, 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 yeah. but like <laughs> early on, I remember in stand up, like I would almost like, 
the anxiety of like about to be performing mm-hmm. was so much and you just have to push through it and now it's like eh whatever like now i get anxiety if what i plan to do isn't working out and mm-hmm. then like it's the bombing anxiety you know where it's like oh no oh no oh no, oh, no. <laughs> but, but that's what's so beautiful about what you do <laughs> about like stand up though mm-hmm. is that you guys get to go up i mean obviously right now with stuff that's going on you can't go up all the time yeah. but in normal times you get to go up regularly. Yeah. You know, which is something like if you're acting, you don't really get that chance unless you're booking jobs. You're just kind of... Exactly. It's, hanging out. We t- I talked about this with... Uh, I believe I talked about it with Ryan O'Toole, who also is he's a comedian who's mm-hmm. been getting into acting. Mm-hmm. He's had He has experience in acting as well, but mm-hmm. I've talked about this with lots of people is that like that same thing, like comedy, I, I would rather be a low-level comedian than a low-level actor because I feel like acting, you have to ask people to include you. You're like, I want to practice, but I need you to mm-hmm. let me practice. Whereas comedy is like, I want to go to any dingy bar with an open mic and I'm just, I can just be terrible yeah. and I can still do it. Like, yeah. you, don't need, uh, you don't need anybody's permission. Exactly. Yeah. So you do your first play. Mm-hmm. You, uh, the course, it gets stuck. Mm-hmm. You get some feedback that you're shaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're literally sh- We could see you shaking on stage. <laughs> what was your uh, your next step in your theater career so far? Did you have like a next booking pretty soon after that, or? Yeah, that summer. Um, so I do instrument apparel, and then there was a guy, Adam Burnett, who was an alumni. He did the theater program there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he lived. He used to live up here. He moved back home, but mm-hmm. he used to live here in New York. And at the time, he was living in New York. And he had a theater company here in Brooklyn called Buran Theater Company. Mm-hmm. And so B-U-R-A-N, Buran Theater Company. And okay. he, um, they did a show called, it was a touring show called Nightmares, Tales of the Sublime. It was a retelling of the origins of the Frankenstein book. Okay. So uh, for people who don't know, uh, for people who aren't nerds, um, <laughs> Frankenstein, the idea for Frankenstein, Mary Shelley, the author of Frankenstein, the original Frankenstein, uh, Came up with the idea. She was with her husband, Percy Shelley, and some of their friends, like writers mm. and poets and stuff. Right. And they had this big manor, and they're looking out the windows watching this very intense thunderstorm. Mm. And that's where the idea for the book Frankenstein yeah. uh, originated. So Nightmares, Tales of the Sublime was a modern retelling of that night. Mm-hmm. So I got to play a black Percy Shelley. Okay. So I'm playing, yeah. So the author of Frankenstein, Mary Shelley, I was playing her husband in okay. the retelling of it. It was very experimental. We had like a screen behind us mm-hmm. that was like blasting images. Yeah. Um, there were some parts of the dialogue I couldn't tell you what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it's experimental theater. I mean, it's one of those things people come up to you after the show. They're like, what was that about? It's like, I don't know. So did you, did you get this opportunity? Was this through school again? Yeah. Or? So it was through school. So they had, um, the head of the theater department knew Adam very well because, like I said, he was he went through it, and she had suggested me to him. Mm-hmm. So we did that at the Kansas City Fringe Festival. So okay. like actual, like not like on campus, like actually at a Fringe Festival. Yeah. Um, that was in May. So Intimate Apparel, I performed in, I think it was January, February, March of that mm-hmm. year, and then in May I was doing Nightmares Tales of the Sublime, and then didn't do anything, and then that November, I get a call from Adam. Being like, hey, we're taking the show to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Do you want to reprise the role as Percy Shelley? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> I got paid to go to New Orleans. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I remember uh, CM Soto was her name. Uh, was one of the producers for the Fringe Festival down in New Orleans. Like, she was one of the people putting the money up for it. And she had 
like a really nice apartment in the French Quarter that she let us stay mm-hmm. in. Ooh, yeah, that's sick. So for what was it, seven or eight days? Mm-hmm. Uh, me and two of the other people from uh, KU that were actors got to stay. Um, yeah, in the French Quarter, like we could go to our balcony, see the Mississippi River. Um, Bourbon Street's like just a couple blocks over. Nice. Um, and then I'd already done the play mm. earlier that year. So yeah. I remember I showed up and we were going to do like three days of rehearsal. I showed up to the first rehearsal and maybe on the drive down there, I went over my lines again. But yeah. It's like you, you just came right back. And I remember Adam being like, yeah, you, you're good. Because then they had new members. Mm-hmm. So there were people that I yeah. hadn't performed with that were like, I remember from like New York, uh, Philip Oros, who was from Sweden. Mm-hmm. Met it, like I acted with a guy who was from Sweden. Whoa. That was really cool. Um, <laughs> he was awesome. And then, uh, yeah, and so I remember the first day he was just like, "Yeah, I mean, I'd rather catch these other actors up, so you're good to go. You can nice just hang out." So I just hung out for eight days, and then That's our dope. show started at like six thirty. We were out at like nine. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So from the rest of that time, there's just nothing going on. So it was fun. That's yeah. chill. That's super cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that was probably the moment. I mean, because it's such a cool experience and other experiences aren't going to live up and haven't lived up to that. But that was yeah. probably the moment where I was like, it, it wouldn't be bad to do this. Yeah. Did you did you switch majors after that or? No. So I uh, never was a theater major. Okay. Um, I ended up finishing with political science. Okay. Um, yeah, I never did the theater major thing because I, I never really felt and still don't feel like I felt I fit in. Yeah. With the theater people, because mm. most people who. We all know what theater kids are like. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. No, you're fine. Yeah. You're right. And I was going to say, most people who get into theater or comedy or performing, they tend to yeah. be young. Mm-hmm. And by young, I mean like, you know, like it was one of the first things they loved. Yeah. You yeah. know? Um, and so, I mean, it was weird for me to sit in the green room with people and they're like reciting cats. Yeah. And I couldn't tell you anything about cats other than. Right, right. It's about cats, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, honestly not really that interested either but like i find that happens to me in stand-up comedy a lot mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people that empathize with this but like there are people who i'm friends with who are super comedy nerds who grew up like watching every Mm -hmm. snl all the stand-up like can name every great comedian's greatest specials Mm -hmm. and i'm just like i grew up like i started watching stand-up in like eighth grade from a handful of people that Mm -hmm. i really liked and i didn't like track everyone's career mm. obsess about it you know and i started stand up when i'm 24 then i meet people who are like super comedy nerds i'm like can you believe that this guy in this special like said that like in that day and age and i'd be like i don't even know who that is like <laughs> and if you're like me you don't really care to know who that yeah is. but i think um that's an interesting point because yeah. i think that you're almost better off that way in my opinion i, I, think, I so. think that um it, it's definitely intimidating when mm. people just you can tell they have a love for it that you yeah don't. um because then that I know for me it made me question myself sometimes like maybe mm-hmm. this isn't for me like these people really seem to know what they're talking about but I mean as long as you enjoy it and you vibe with it like that's exactly. what it's about you know and I think it's better off when you just enjoy it because I think with a lot of people who love it so much is they become um one when you don't know who to imitate you're a yeah. lot less likely to imitate people right and then two I, I think being so obsessed with something as a fan can mm-hmm. cause a lot of like paralysis by analysis, you know? Yes. Like people who have this deep knowledge of comedy, like, you know, mm-hmm. I can go write something and think it's awesome because I have nothing to compare it to. But yeah. somebody who knows every single, you know, think about the stress that probably comes with that. of like, they're trying to write and it's mm-hmm. like. Totally. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, that totally makes sense. So you, 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 you finish out college as a poli sci major, mm-hmm. but 
I'm guessing. So New Orleans, you said this trip is probably in your sophomore year. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. did you did you kind of stick with theater through college? Yeah. So I kept I kept doing plays. Mm-hmm. Um, did you do any musical? No. Okay. Can't sing. <laughs> just, just plays. And I, also, okay. I don't like musicals. No. I'm not a fan. <laughs> Outside of Disney movies, not for me. Yeah. Um. I've yeah. I've never watched one. So in in the play in the plays you've done, do you is there like a certain genre that you like the most, or like are you like I don't I don't know much about play genres. Mm-hmm. But are you into like historical fiction, mm-hmm. modern stuff, like horror, humor, any of this stuff? Like, I think just by virtue of my skin color, I've ended up just doing a lot of like African American plays. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably what I like the most. It's just what yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, because you know, if, if they don't specifically say that the role is for a black person, it's typically going to go to a white person. So it's yeah. like most of what I've done is like. You know, outside of Nightmares, Tales of the Sublime, that's the only play I've been in that's not, like, specifically, like, an African-American right. piece of literature. Because mm-hmm. um, the other two plays I did in college was uh, A Raisin in the Sun, which is, like, one of the most famous, like, black plays. Mm-hmm. And then um, Detroit 67, uh, which is written by Dominique Morisot, who actually lives here in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so those were the next two plays I did in college. And then A Raisin in the Sun is what got me, like, a regional agent back home. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, a regional agent. So cool. Ooh, yeah, bougie. So cool. Got to audition over Zoom for <laughs> Baltimore Theater Company. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Was, was this during the pandemic then? That This, this is pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic. This is, this okay. is going back. Raising in the Sun, that was probably like five years ago. Okay. Yeah, nice. It was a while ago. So, I had, uh, yeah, Terry, who was my agent back home, she, um, yeah, she walked up to me after that show. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. just like, hey, like... You want to sign? I was like, cool. Nice. Because did, did you get any opportunities through that? Or was it just kind of lots of auditions? Did some shitty s- short films. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She yelled at me once because I didn't want to go to an audition. I remember that. Really? That's another painful thing about like acting versus comedy. Is Auditioning? That not only do you need people's permission, but you also, sometimes the stuff they want you to do is like, you can just read it and you're like, this is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So do you, like, so you probably, I'm guessing you, did you audition for the plays in college? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm guessing were those a bit more easier than, easy going than real auditions because it was in a university setting or was it kind of the same level of stress and difficulty? I would say, I'd say it's all the same. All the same. Yeah, because in college, there was actually people that I knew that I was competing against. Yeah, like yeah. Like my friends. So it's like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's certain roles that, like... I remember Raising in the Sun. I got the lead, and then my friend Kyle, he got, uh, he got like, the smallest role. Ooh. And it was, it was going to be either way. It was either he was going to get lead, I was going to get the smallest role, or, you know, so, I mean, that's... That's tough. Somebody's feelings are yeah, getting hurt. Yeah, someone's feelings are getting hurt. They weren't <laughs> mine, thank God. But he was awesome. I mean, I really got to give, uh, for people listening, like people like Kyle are awesome because he got the smallest role, but he was at rehearsal every day. Mm-hmm. Sitting like he's barely rehearsing, but he's there every day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he never showed that he was upset about it. Like, so, I mean, he, he handled it very classy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the small little university play we did. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so important. Uh, but, um, yeah, so... I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, auditioning. Okay, so, auditioning. Yeah. Um. So you get you get an agent, and now you're being sent on real auditions. Yeah. So um, what is that like? I mean, even before COVID, a lot of it's taped. Yeah. Just because it's so convenient. Mm. And then when you when you're when you have a regional agent, most of the stuff is like St. Louis, Kansas City, um, 
regional theaters, so that can be all around the country, mm-hmm. just any regional. Like the Baltimore thing, really, that was a real thing I auditioned for. And then, yeah. um, uh, like short films and movies. Um, the brother of my best friend's friend, okay, mm-hmm. uh, he was with the same agency, and I remember he got on the show Empire. Oh, wow. that agency, like you do get yeah some cool opportunities, yeah. Um. But it's just a lot less likely than say if you have like an agent here. Right, right. Um, that makes sense. But I say auditioning's it's not it, first of all, it's not predicated on whether or not you're good. Yeah. It's just if you're right for the part or if yeah. they think you're right for the part. Mm-hmm. So I think I've always been kind of loose about it just because it's like it's not Yeah. You can go in there and stink it up and they might cast you. So yeah. So do you, yeah. do you, are you less anxious to audition than you are to perform? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. no bubble guts in the line to audition. <laughs> really. I mean, you get kind of nervous. Yeah, but it's not the same. Right. It's not like I have to deliver. You know, because yeah. the audition, it's like, I mean, especially like somewhere in like New York. If you're auditioning for something, there's tons of people who are like better looking versions of you. Yeah. That are also auditioning for the same parts, and then so that makes you nervous, stuff like that. But other than that, I mean. You go in, you say their, you say your little lines, and then they're usually just kind of like, "Oh, that's great, thank you." And it's that quick, so Damn. it's like, yeah, it's that quick. So it's like, it's, uh, for me, it's like just sort of self preservation, like mm-hmm. spending too much time worrying about it. I don't think it would yeah. be beneficial. There was, uh, I haven't done any auditioning for anything, but yeah. when I first moved to New York City, there was an NBC audition for stand-ups mm-hmm. for comedy, and you got one minute to perform. To that's your audition. Well, a one minute set, and. Like, they were only going to let, like, a certain number of people in, like, 500 mm-hmm. auditions or something like that. And so there were stand-up comedians camping around the block at the NBC building in Rockefeller Plaza, you know? And, uh, like, literally outside, just, like... <laughs> in, like, like Black Friday? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> sleeping bags on the sidewalk. Oh like, just sleeping out there and, like, stepping with the line and stuff. And I was like, I don't... And you can just you that. can just picture some like NBC executive in the top just looking down like look at how thirsty they are. I know it's if <laughs> like uh, like what's the guy's name in Mad Max? Oh, I don't know. I haven't oh, seen God. it. Oh God. Okay, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, it's just like if I'm sure like the thing is is every everyone who makes it in these industries yeah. knows how thirsty the like lower level people mm-hmm. are, and they do nothing to correct. They're just like, yeah, everyone suffers. That's just how it is. <laughs> it is cold. Yeah, people are just like. I mean, I know you're struggling. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like it's there was a there was a, I met a comedian at a at a rooftop show last summer, and he was a headliner at a show. I'd I'd never seen this guy at open mics or anything, mm-hmm. but it was very clear that he was really experienced as a comedian, really funny, so natural. I was like, okay, this guy's been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And afterward, we ended up talking, and uh, my friend comes up to us, and we're talking about doing stand-up. And he's like, so there's a lot going on in the summer? That's great. That's awesome. It's so good that people are getting out there and like practicing and all this. And I was like, oh. And my friend, she goes, oh, uh, we have a list. There's a list I put together of all the open mics happening during the pandemic. And it's uh, here. And she shows him the page. And he doesn't even like take his, ar- his arms across. He doesn't even move his hands. He just looks at it and goes, oh, that- that's great. And I, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, this guy? is like so far beyond us that he doesn't even think about stuff at this level. Right, he's like, like what? <laughs> open mics. He's open like, mic. I just I just go to clubs. I just perform at clubs all the time. Like <laughs> I was like, oh wow, there there's like I can't even comprehend that level. <laughs> and you you know what though, like what's good about that story though mm-hmm. is something that I'd have to say is another difference between like the comedy and the acting. Yeah. Is that in comedy 
you often, as a stand-up, even doing open mics, you know, established comedians come to open mics every now and then. Yeah, yeah. So you still get to brush shoulders. Mm-hmm. And most of them are cool. And they'll talk to, like, an open micer. And they're not, like, you know. Yeah. So I think there's more of a... What I'm trying to say is I feel like there's more of a sense of community. Yeah. In the stand-up world. Because no matter what level people are at, like, everyone seems to be, for the most part, mm-hmm. pretty nice. Yeah. And even if you're an open micer, you know, if you're growing out regularly in a place like New York or L.A., you're yeah. going to brush into established people. Totally. Whereas acting, unless you get a job with someone who's established, you're just mm-hmm. kind of... There's really no way to, like, meet right anybody that's like super established yeah and um, yeah because i mean it seems like yeah you're you'd be sticking to your production company or your theater troupe or whatever right. thing you're involved yeah. in and that's your community versus right. like having a larger communal vibe on a whole mm-hmm. interesting that makes sense yeah so so okay let's let's rewind a little bit so you get an agent <laughs> this is at the this end is, of college-ish this for is you? Like junior year yeah okay mm-hmm. um you get booked in some short films what were your roles in the short films so bad i just i basically played so one short film i basically just played it was like one scene i'm just like there to like be this girl's boyfriend basically yeah there's no other point to it mm-hmm. that's the one i didn't want to do okay i thought the, I thought the dialogue <laughs> was so cheesy and then i remember i did this other one um this one was in college i'm trying to think of the name of it maybe I, okay um but uh I remember the lead actor's name. I can't say it because I'm about to shit talk him. But um, (laughs) (laughs) I remember, again, I had like one scene. And I remember we shot in, it was a Hilton Hotel bar. Okay. Right? (laughs) So I show up, do the makeup thing. Uh, They have like the lights. Um, My first time working with like a really good camera. I remember they like rented out like a red camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, For viewers who don't know, that's like one of the best digital cameras. Yeah. And uh they rented out this red camera, so I was super excited because I'm like, oh, my God, I get to be in front of it. They got the light. You know, I was super excited. Mm. Man, it's just like a typical, I can't remember what we said, but it's a just typical, like, buddies at a bar scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going through some stuff with his girl, and I'm basically just there as, like, the sponge to, for him to vent to. Yeah. It was pretty much the whole scene. Should have been easy. Yeah. I get there. The dude doesn't know his lines. What? He's the lead. <laughs> this isn't the first day of shooting. Jeez. He doesn't know his lines. Oh it's one God. scene. <laughs> you know all of us are there even me i'm just like i just want to show up do this leave um i remember we're in the hilton hotel maybe for like five hours because the dude could not get his lines and then starts having like a meltdown over not getting his lines and i remember uh one of the producers <laughs> who i became friends with later uh who actually lives in denver now mm-hmm. um he uh i remember because we're at the bar side by side and mm-hmm. so when i'm looking at him i can see over his shoulder and i just see one of the producers at the table in the background and he just has his head in his hands <laughs> and he's just like rubbing the middle of his forehead just staring at the lead actor just like oh my god like please oh, no. <laughs> get through this um so yeah that's like my experience doing short films i mean that's why i said they're bad because they, they weren't good experiences but then again it's you know a lot of these short films is people you know their first time maybe trying to do a film it's very low budget. And, yeah. Um, I think for anyone who's never tried to write a film or do a film, I think, especially for me going into it, I never appreciated just how difficult that is. Like, yeah. That is a difficult medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. Like what always astounds me, like, is just even for like writing sketches and stuff mm-hmm. is like, okay, if you're watching something that's five minutes long. Mm-hmm. Every second someone is saying something, that needs to be scripted. And then there mm-hmm. needs to be a shot for every one of those lines mm-hmm. in some capacity or every group of lines. It's like you don't realize how many takes and how many cuts go to 
go to put something together. It's mm-hmm. like just thinking about it is like exhausting for me. <laughs> I'm like, no way. I don't know. I helped a I helped a friend take one of his stand-up bits. It was a 25-second audio clip, and we took some footage to like put over it so you could make mm. like a video post. And like I was like, this is 25 seconds of like audio that we mm. have to match up clips to. Mm. And I am over it already. Like, I don't like this setting. We didn't get enough shots. Like, I didn't know how many shots we should get in the first place. I thought it would all work out, but it's like, no, I gotta yeah. fill up every single one of these beats with something. Like, it's incredible. And then like on like when people are like, movies cost like millions of dollars to make. Mm. It's like, yeah, no shit. Like yeah. <laughs> the They're amount expensive. that goes in, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Um, yeah, man. I remember it's actually talking about the cost of movies goes into like the next step. Uh so I told you when I I told you when I met you, um, I stayed in Denver for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And one of the reasons why was the producer I was just talking about, Tanner, uh Gibus is his name, who was like rubbing his head. He's like, Oh my god. Uh so <laughs> Him and I became friends, and I moved out to Denver with him. Mm. And I remember him and I were working on a film together, like a script. And talk about expensive, right? Like, people hear expensive. You think, like, most movies like millions of dollars. Well, just a low-budget film. We wanted to do maybe, like, it would have been, like, a 28. It would have been a short film, like, 28, 29 minutes. Yeah. They wanted the studio we talked to, like, a small local studio in Denver. They wanted us to raise, like... 15,000 of our own mm-hmm. that they would then match. So it'd be like a $30,000 budget for wow. like our little like small film, which mm-hmm. already that number's like, what? Yeah. And then they're like, yeah, so, you know, you just go raise like 15K of your own. And it's like, oh. Jeez. And we just call up, <laughs> you know, all my non-existent rich friends. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I remember that was like a shock for me. Yeah. That was like, wow, like this stuff is, film's hard. Yeah. Like, just getting it made is hard. Yeah. I mean, equipment expenditure alone yeah. is insane like yeah. just just getting like those like red cameras yeah. and like having the audio set up in the lighting it's like you're looking at like you know fifteen thousand yeah, yeah, dollars yeah. just there yeah. that's not costumes or scenes or renting anything like yeah it adds up insanely fast so how many what was your how long were you in denver for i was in denver for maybe six or seven months okay um did you do any any plays or anything out there while you were there no i didn't do anything in denver yeah. um, <laughs> except smoke a lot of weed <laughs> uh, <laughs> go snowboarding uh, yeah, you and everybody hung else. out at breckenridge a lot nice, uh, nice. let's see um no because we went to go do the film and then tanner had to go i remember tanner so him and i were waiting to do our thing mm-hmm. but then he got um tapped to go to las vegas to film this guy who runs a long snapping camp sounds crazy right long snapping yeah so like the long snapper in football like the guy who snaps the ball to the kicker the punter there's a guy who has a camp in las vegas and like most of the nfl players like long snappers come from this camp and so tanner yeah tanner got tapped got flown to las vegas to uh shoot this documentary for the guy in in a million years, I would have never guessed that there's a specific camp just for one position on a football team. Mm-hmm. It, oh, it's Super Bowl Sunday, by the way, listeners. So yeah, Super Bowl so Sunday. <laughs> Go Chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> They're not, Tom Brady isn't on that team, so. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Go Chiefs. Uh, yeah, it was a camp for just long. And like you have kids that get their parents send them from like all over the country to Las Vegas to go to this long snapping camp. Yo, wow. 
that's yeah so once tanner started that our movie just kind of was like well mm-hmm. this isn't gonna happen and then he's in las vegas most of the time so i'm just in denver by myself yeah and i didn't plan to be right so, right right yeah, I just ended up going home because I was just like, "There's." I remember, like, I took like the Greyhound bus home. <laughs> <laughs> Greyhound is rough. It is. It, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. it's not too far from Denver to Kansas City, but that's it's a long, it's a long bus ride. One hour on that bus is a hundred hours on yeah, that yeah, bus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember we had a driver who was like, "I don't want anyone vaping or smoking weed. <laughs> I will pull over." And I was like, "We're going on I seventy between Kansas and Colorado. Like, where are you going to pull over at?" Like, <laughs> exactly. Also, you're driving from Denver. What do you think? What do you think the audience is going to be like? Yeah. <laughs> Crack a window. Like, I don't yeah. Know what to tell you. And I will say the the Greyhound station in Denver is the shittiest part right of the downtown. entire city. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. It's like Denver is so nice and clean. Mm-hmm. You go to that one station, and you're like, "Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is a madhouse." Yeah, I can picture the street in my head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's just, crazy, yeah, yeah. It's just like Broadway Junction, but like put in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I liked Denver. Denver was nice. But yeah, so I stayed there for about six or seven months. Mm-hmm. And I came back to Kansas City. Um, yeah. And I've been in Kansas City the past, what, two years, two and a half years, I think? Was it 2021? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You getting back on? Were you doing like plays and stuff once you got back home? No. no? So here's like the crazy part with me leading up to moving to New York is I moved back home and... I needed to make money. So yeah. I was working night shifts in a factory for like the better part of two years. Oh, shit. Um, it's terrible. Yeah. And uh, doing like a forklift thing. Um, I remember when I first started at one factory, I had to work four 12s in a row. Mm-hmm. And then when I went wow. to the next factory, I would work five days a week. Mm-hmm. But it's 1130 to eight in the morning. Mm-hmm. 1130, eight in the morning. And then some, you had to work mandatory overtime like twice a week. Wow. So sometimes you go in, like you have working early. So you work 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. to 8 a.m. Yeah. Then you got to go back to work again that night at 1130. Or you do an over. So you work 1130 p.m. till noon. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I did that for the last two years. And then just basically was setting money aside to decide if I wanted to. I had a friend at the time who's living in L.A. She yeah. doesn't anymore. Um, but I spent a lot of time deciding like New York, Chicago, L.A. Okay, what 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 were your uh, pros and especially? I'm guessing you wanted to move to get back into theater yeah, in some yeah, capacity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what were your kind of pros and cons of each city? Like, what were you looking for, and why did you finally end up on New York? Huh. I think um, it's not that I don't know the answer. It's just I put a lot of thought into it, so there's a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think you know, I didn't want to do LA. This is the truth because the car. Yeah, I'm from a city where mm. we drive everywhere. Yes, and the traffic's nothing like LA. You can, mm. you know, you can get around pretty easy. But yeah. I just, I was tired of owning a car because you I have feel that. the car insurance, and then you have gas, and you have maintenance, you know, maintenance, and and licensing, and license, and, yeah. and registration. And so it's so much. Yeah. And then I thought, man, like trying to live in LA and pay LA rent plus all the stuff with the car, I just thought would be insane. Yeah. And I also feel like LA. My friend Ashley said this, but she was like, LA is a lot like a packed Kansas City with palm trees and nice weather because <laughs> it's so spread out. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. So, like, Kansas City, where I'm from, is very spread out. It's a sprawl. Yeah. It's yeah. a sprawl. So, like, in Kansas City, if you live in a certain suburb, you usually are just in that suburb because you just, right. it's a sprawl. And then Ashley was telling me the same things about when she was in LA is that, yeah. like, she lived in Long Beach, which mm-hmm. is way south. And then, so she was just like, yeah, she almost never left Long Beach because if she wants to go do an audition in, like, West Hollywood or Beverly Hills, that's like, an hour and a half to maybe depending yeah. on traffic two and a half hour drive so yeah. it's like 
I didn't want to deal with that. Yeah. Um, Chicago, because it was close. Mm-hmm. And then Chicago also has what New York has, which it has comedy and acting. Yeah. So it's like you can kind of dip in both. Yeah. Um, and honestly, Chicago, I think, was me being safe. Mm-hmm. Because I think most people who moved to Chicago wanted to go to New York. <laughs> you know? It's like New York light. Yeah. Um, so I think it was just the safest pick. Um, but then New York, I think I came around to New York because my mom's from here. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I've, it's always just been New York. Like, yeah, yeah. I've always loved New York in a way that like I've never loved in LA or something like yeah. that. Like LA never, the allure of LA is never, like I, I give in to the mythology of New York. Like, yeah. I'm a sucker for it. But like LA, it's just kind of like, I don't, yeah. If I want to live somewhere nice with palm trees, I'll go to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, I kind of had like a similar thing, actually, because mm-hmm. in comedy, I did comedy for about 10 months mm-hmm. in Colorado. Then I was like, OK, it's either New York or L.A., but I want to play in the big leagues like I want to get serious. Yeah. And the thing that drove me to New York is like normally I love hiking and I love swimming. And I love being outside and mm-hmm. New York has or L.A. has that. Mm-hmm. But what got me to come to uh, New York instead was I, I was listening to a podcast. and There's a comedian that was like, yeah, when you're in New York, you're walking everywhere and taking the train and you're with people on the street. You feel like you're part of the community and you'll bump into people, you know, mm. in L.A., you spend an hour and a half in your car every day, two hours in your car every day. And you just go back to your house like you don't you don't feel connected to everyone. Okay, and I yeah. was like, OK, I'm going to New York like mm-hmm. and it's. It's the best. And not having a car is amazing. Because <laughs> yeah, now that I think about it, um, two things you said. One, going from Denver, thinking about going to L.A. Is I have a lot of friends um, who were in Denver. And that's the move I feel like people tend to make in Denver. Is it's to L.A. And then you have a lot of people who are from L.A. that moved to Denver. Yeah. Culturally, it makes the most sense. Yeah. It's very laid back. Outdoorsy in a lot of ways. We like yoga. They yeah, like yeah, weed. Yeah. All that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's like good crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... You talked about with the not having a car. I mean, yeah, it's so good. Because <laughs> I don't know how you feel. I try to break down to my friends back home. Like, you come to New York, and for me at least, so far, the only thing that's crazy expensive is the rent. Mm-hmm. Like everything else is like, it's pretty reasonable. It's reasonable. Like unless you like trying to live it up, going out and eating all the time, then like, yeah, and, yeah. that'll add up. But like, there's and there, but even then, you got to eat out like nice places. Yeah, and the thing is, when you eat out in New York. There are tourist trap places that mm-hmm. will charge you out the ass. And then there's like the real places. And it's very reasonable. Oh, I fell for one my first week here. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spent like $19 on a sandwich. Yeah. yeah I was you're like, like, what is this? You're like, yeah. why did I do and it? doesn't even come with fries. Like, no, yeah. Fuck? You're like, what is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the car, like, I, I had a, a new car before I moved to New yeah. York City and I sold it because I was looking at it. I was like, okay, I have a new car. If it gets, if anyone hits it, I'm going to vomit because I'm going to like, <laughs> that's just how it is. It's going to, I know it's going to get ruined if I park on the side of the street. And I was like, but I'd like to have my car so I can leave. So I started looking at parking. Then it's like, oh, the street sweeping. You need to move your car to the opposite side of the street two days a week so they can sweep or else you get a ticket. Or you can pay for a parking spot somewhere, which yeah. if you pay for somewhere way the fuck away from here, it's like, you can get like a hundred dollars spot. But for the most part, it's like three to 500. And I was like, that plus the car payment plus the insurance is like no i'm just getting rid of this oh it's thing. insane yeah it's yeah. insane it's like to have a to have a car out here especially if you're paying it off it's basically like paying rent again yeah like every month yeah it's um i say it to people all the time and it's like yeah my rent's like double what it was back home mm-hmm. but my transportation cost is like 
maybe less than a third. Like, oh, yeah. if you get an unlimited card, it's 127, right? Yeah. So, I mean, 127 is like my insurance. You yeah. Know? Like, <laughs> and I not think, quite. It wasn't that high. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It's, yeah. And it's actually like even less like right now, like in the, in the normal times, like if you're commuting to work, you pay off the unlimited Metro card if you take the train at least twice a day, which right. is like if you work every day and you're like doing like either theater or comedy mm. or bouncing around to hang mm-hmm. out with friends, pays itself mm-hmm. off easy. During the pandemic, though, it has been so much you cheaper because I've just been paying per ride. I'm like, yeah. I, I, I learned like, yeah, my first two months here, I was like unlimited, baby. And then, uh, yeah, since then, I've gotten the Omni thing, the tap. Yeah, yeah. And so yep. I just I just pay per ride now because like how you say, especially once winter and uh, the second wave of COVID hit. Yeah. Um, back in like, I want to say like November, mm-hmm. I feel like is when all that really happened. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember I had like an unlimited card and I was just like, I don't know why. I'm not leaving the yeah. house enough. Yeah. <laughs> but when I first got here, everything was active, and it was like, okay, it's yeah. worth it. So you came in, did you say November? October 1st. October, October. October 1st, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a pretty good time. October 1st, went to the tiny cupboard, like, that whole weekend. <laughs> For real. I was yeah. there that whole weekend. Um, I remember I had unnecessarily bought a whole bunch of Eventbrite tickets. Just for like the second time I show up there for them to just be like, come in. <laughs> but I had yeah. given them a bunch of money, so they're they're happy. That's a secret. Yeah, 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 yeah. no one knows. That. Oh, oh. <laughs> shout out the tiny cupboard. Make sure you pay. Um, yeah, yeah. Pay but for, uh, pay for the drinks. Shout out Matt and Amy. But um, and I'm, I'm gonna actually, I'm actually gonna have them on the podcast. You are soon. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, we're friends with them, and it's like I actually got a second mic and a sec or a third mic and a third headset just so I could interview two people so I could have them on. Eventually. No, they're yeah, I love them. Yeah, they're awesome. They're probably one of the most easily loved couples. But um, I was going to say about them. Um, yeah, so I was at the Tiny Cupboard um, when I started October. Um, when I first got here, I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. And I still feel that way a little bit. Um, because I, I didn't know where to put my foot in the door theater-wise. Yeah. So I, at first, I was just doing nonstop comedy, which is how I met Leland. Right, uh, right. Because I was just showing up at comedy all the time, because that's the closest I could get to, like, some kind of performance, right? Yeah, yeah. And then also, I feel like I was getting shot out of a cannon because the last two years, I'm doing night shifts. And so yeah. finally, it's like, oh, I can regularly like go see stuff. So I was so excited. Um, but then what happened? Uh, one of my old acting teachers, uh, who actually, no, Nicole, or was it Peter? It was Peter Zazali. He does, he actually teaches acting in Singapore now. Ooh. Of all places. Fancy. But he was like a big Shakespeare guy. Yeah. And uh, he had told me, so I'd asked him, like, what are some good places? Because right now, there's, you just can't really audition for a lot of plays because they don't even know if they want to put them on. Right, because so the they only, have to be indoor. Right. So the only yeah. thing you, I could really audition for at this point was, like, the theater companies, like, trying to be, like, um, a member of their, like, uh, what do they call it? Like, artist group. Yeah. So, like, not, like, a member in the terms of, like, they're going to put me on, but a member in terms of, like, I like how you said earlier with actors, it's so... Um, there's not the same amount of community or the right. same overall community. There's community, but it's a lot more. It's like in pockets. And right. Like so, yeah. So I, I started working with uh, the Barrow Group, which is in Manhattan, which is a theater company. And um, that's that helped out a lot because then I can take classes there. Um, this mm. last Friday night, we just did a reading yeah. for like new black plays. Mm. And the joy was like black. Uh, the theme was black joy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the joy was black theme. No, uh, <laughs> the theme was black joy. And uh, it's like stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we did that reading 6 p.m. Friday night. So that was really fun. Um, I start film acting classes um, end of this month. Okay. Uh, with a guy, Steven Singer, who uh, 
he did Broadway with Paul Giamatti and Kevin Spacey. Mm. Was the last thing he did Whoa. on Broadway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are I'm guessing these classes are over Zoom right now. They're gonna be over Zoom right now. Yeah. And then um yeah, the Bear Group was important. Um there's a lot of names that have gone through there. Yeah. Um and people who are still involved. Um mm-hmm. so I think as an actor, that's the closest you can get to like being able to do open mics is yeah. Getting involved in something like that. And then you meet other people who like want to run lines with you and stuff like that. Right, so that, right. that's like the closest you can get. Um, okay. But again, that's like the downside of acting versus comedy. Yeah, like, yeah. Even if you're doing stuff in acting, it doesn't, you know, I feel like comedy, it's really make it, it's easy to make it look like you're doing stuff, you know? Yeah. You know, totally. Acting, right. it's like, yeah, we're running lines. Like, no one wants yeah. to look at that. <laughs> yeah. But you performing in front of people, that's like exciting, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I run this open mic. Once a week, uh-huh. and then I do maybe two Zoom mics a week right mm-hmm. now, and people are like, "How yeah, are you doing stuff?" And I'm like, "No, I'm not." <laughs> yeah. How, how how are the Zoom mics? Uh, it's it's good practice. I think it's um it's fun. It's low stakes. Mm-hmm. Like it just it. I mean, performing for people in real life is a million times better. And if you booked me on a hundred Zoom shows. And told me I can do a hundred Zoom shows, or I can do one rooftop show during the summer. I'd be like, I will take the rooftop. The rooftop, show. yeah, because yeah. there's there's nothing like getting up there with your friends and people you know, doing some sets, and just like you get to have a beer and just hang out. It's warm. You can see the skyline. Ugh, it's incredible. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's so much better than dirty ass comedy basement. <laughs> I'm just like. I don't want to be a club comic. I want to be a street performer. I want to perform on the roof, you know? <laughs> I think that stays. Yeah, it's it's gonna. I think it stays. It's And the thing is, like, every all the comedians I've talked to, they're itching. They're like, as soon as the weather is warm enough, like, last year was like a trial run for us. This year, it's going to be like, everyone's going to hit the ground running on outdoor comedy. So. You see, that's what was a blessing for me. That was, that's what was a blessing for me. Um when I first moved here. Yeah. You know, talking about like how nice comedians are, right? Yeah. Is I first moved here probably my first or second week at the Tiny Cupboard. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> people start talking to me and I think it's just because I'd been around. You know, people just yeah. see you around so they're just like, hey, what's up? And so, yeah. um, I was talking to uh, Josh Johnson, right? Oh, he's great. He's amazing, yeah. right? <laughs> Name drop him for the skills and also just he's a super nice guy. And yeah. uh, I remember I was blessed meeting him just because he was the one who kind of like, this is back in October. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, yeah, so you do stuff. And I was like, well, I mainly like, mostly have done theater, but I do love watching comedy and I do think it's funny and I try to write stuff sometimes. And he was just like, oh, well, if you're trying to be new to this, he's like, just so you know, it's going to die in like a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not, not in those words. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. like, you know, it's going to slow down. <laughs> uh, but he was great because he talked about all the Zoom stuff. And he was like, honestly, he's like, if you're new to this, the advice he gave me was like, um, try to just get through the winter. Yeah. Because he knew it was going to slow down a lot. Oh, yeah. And he's like, just try to get through the winter and then write, write, write. And then he's like, by the time spring comes back around. Totally. You're going to be like a cannon. You know, you're just going to shoot out with yep. stuff ready. Yep. It, it's so funny because like now now we're in it and we're in the winter. But like preceding this for like two, yeah. or, two or three months, people are like, what are we going to do when winter hits? Yeah. What are we going to do when winter hits? And it was like this big looming darkness. And now that we're in it, it's like, Oh yeah, this is just as bad as we thought it as would you, be. Yeah, it's, yeah. As, that's that's terrible, right? Yeah. When something is as bad as you thought it would be. Usually you can be yeah. like, it's not that bad. But. Yeah. I mean, granted it's only snowed, like this is the second time it's snowing yeah. this whole year, but like just the biting wind. Like we still have our mic on Saturdays mm-hmm. and it's like we do it at two PM. Two PM Because right? it's yeah. like nice and warm, we get the sunshine. But like even then there's some days where it's like like we couldn't have it this week because it was buried in snow. Like right. next week we'll see, but it's like it's so weather dependent. Like there, there are two open mics mm-hmm. that I know that are actually happening right now. One is in a Q train station, 
like on on the platform and the other one is under the terrace at bethesda fountain which is like that indoor like you like if you look up bethesda fountain on Mm -hmm. instagram it's like one of those famous like photogenic spots it's like all the arches and shit but it's just like an indoor outdoor thing but it's got a roof which is important yeah (laughs) yeah, so you're you're not freezing yeah but it's like you can feel the desperation in comedians (laughs) like for real and i i love that I really do. Like, it's, I really admire that. Like, it's um, hilarious. Like, <laughs> like you both. Again, there's another like difference between like comedy and acting. Is I think comedians. I really see you guys as like entrepreneurs. First off, yeah, it's really what it is. Yeah, it's not like the other art forms, right? You know, like as an actor, you're not really an entrepreneur. I guess unless you consider like working out and. <laughs> you know, there's some actors that are like, I'm really serious about my craft. I work out all the time. I work so, out and I pluck my eyebrows. Yeah, exactly. They're like, <laughs> eh, okay, whatever. But, uh, you know, like comedians is like people who I meet, you guys doing the Wobbly Ladder, I'm like, uh, doing this mic, uh, you doing the podcast. All the mm. comedians I meet who do podcasts and they do yeah. stuff like, um, you know, you guys remind me of, there's going to be a funny comparison. Oh boy, what? Rappers. Rappers? <laughs> comedians <laughs> remind me of the kids that I knew in high school that I wanted to be rappers. Yeah. Because for real though, I love this. No, for real. Like (laughs) comedians are like rappers because you guys, most of you guys, when you're starting out, write your own stuff, right? Yeah. Um, there's little comedian beefs that no one knows about unless you're like in the in the scene. It's like it's like when that kid in high school that rapped had a beef with the other kid in the other high school that rapped. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) It's stupid. It's always something like that. And then comedians are like rappers in the sense that like you guys have to put your own shows on. You got to get people out to your shows. Yep. Um, you're writing your own material. You're trying new material. You're having to go up and like sometimes embarrass yourself in front of people. Yep. Because that's the thing about writing is you only get better the more you do it. So when yep. you're starting out, it's like, you know, you have the friends that wanted to be rappers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was trash. Yeah. You know. Um, but that's who I think of a lot when I like am in the comedy scene here. Is I think a lot about um rappers like that's who people make me think of it's yeah like, that, that kind of hustle is like it reminds me of like rappers like no that makes a, it makes a lot of sense yeah, yeah. like there's one of the difficult things is the the self-promotion and the promoting and i know in theater this can be a difficult spot too where it's like if you have an independent theater it can be challenging to get people to come out and watch your shows mm-hmm. but once you kind of get into like an institutionalized theater then it's like okay yeah there's gonna be an audience mm-hmm. it's gonna be fine but like for our shows it's like Everyone, especially with this summer, because uh, everything, all the restaurants were shut down, bars were shut down, no comedy clubs. Everyone had to become their own producer. So this this summer, it was like it was like not only is every comedian like a little business person to promote their comedy. Now every comedian and their mom is a show producer and like someone who is learning marketing. Like yeah, and everyone's gonna be better because of it. Yeah. Especially people who have taken it seriously. You oh, and totally. Leland, um I wouldn't say I have, but Leland. <laughs> Leland um, I was about to name off people. I don't want to do it because I don't want to leave anybody out. But um, there's a lot. There's a lot of people that are doing it that I, like, I really yeah. respect. I'm like, wow, like you're really out here. Um, yeah, and yeah, they'll be better because of it. Um, do you think? Do you think one thing that I was wondering about with like the summer? So like everything shuts down, then a lot of like comedians we took to like outdoor comedy. Was there any type of thing in like the theater community that was like similar? Did you guys like were like we're doing like online shows or was there anything like that or is it kind of just like on pause? It's on pause. Like I like I said, like, even at the barrel group, most of the stuff we do is just readings. Yeah. Or even you've had like 
established actors just kind of do readings. Yeah. Because you talked about like doing a comedy show Zoom wise, like acting over Zoom. Yeah. Especially nah. like, you know, you can do monologues over Zoom. Yeah. But trying to have a dialogue with someone over Zoom. Right. Is so unnatural. Totally. Not just to do, but also to watch because I've watched yeah. people do it. Like, especially when you're watching the readings and they're just reading off the script and they're going back. It's just weird. Like, there's a there's a chemistry that's lacking because you're not in person with them, right. with them. You know, same with like if you're doing a stand up show. Yeah, yeah. There's just there's something about being present in the room that yes. adds a certain layer of chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, right here it's just kind of stuck. I mean, again, that's another reason why, upon moving here, the idea of doing it became more attractive to me because right, right. it's it's none of us want to be that person that like moved off to pursue something. And it's not that you're not doing it, but it's that you're not even, like, you're just twiddling your thumbs, right? Yeah. Like, the rent's too fucking high, right? Yeah. So, it's, like, that was the big thing for me. Like, we talk about the entrepreneur stuff and all that stuff. Like, that makes it really attractive to me. Mm. Um, I think, honestly, even more so than technically, like, a love for the craft. I mean, I'm like you and how you described yourself earlier. Mm. That I, There's comedians that I really admire that I can watch repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. But if someone tries to sit down and have a conversation with me about, like, this and that and that show, like, I don't. Yeah. I don't know and I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't. Yeah. You know, if, if, if it's for me, it'll find me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, that's something to think about, too. I think that's an, an intimidating thing about it, yeah. too. Though. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I just, I just like making people laugh, bro. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's just like, I remember getting yelled at. <laughs> Here's a funny story. This is purely comedy. Uh, I remember I got invited to hang out with some comics after a show. And it's when I first got here. Yeah. And I had said something very similar like that mm. in a room full of comics read the room Zach uh, in a room full of comics we had been like it's just jokes <laughs> and, um, <laughs> the reaction I got you would have thought that I dropped like a slur yeah <laughs> like <laughs> I remember this guy comic who I could tell you after the podcast yeah. you don't know who he is he goes um, he goes what did you say I go yeah man it's just jokes like if you know if they don't work they don't work you go back the next day even if they do work you still got to go back the next day so like you know whatever and he goes yeah he's like no man i, I, I could see you're new man because you know comedy is like bearing your soul <laughs> and in my head i didn't say this but in my head i was like i don't know man i just saw your act tonight yeah <laughs> <laughs> if that's your soul you ain't got a whole lot going on i think the thing is is there are certain uh there are certain jokes that really are bearing your soul. And you can tell when someone, the best comedy comes off as purely genuine. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's like where you can't even tell it's written. You just th- see this person. You're like, this is what they like, like is going on. But like, there's a lot of jokes that people write that are just like, y'all ready for a zinger? Yeah. It's <laughs> just that's like what dumb, and, his, yeah. and his set was like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it said, and obviously after the podcast, but when I tell you who it is, you'll be like, okay, yeah. but uh, <laughs> his set was like that. And you know, like Chris Rock, Talking about cheating on his wife. Like, that's yeah. very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, shout out Riley Lassen. I don't even talk to her, but I think she's hilarious. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, like, well, because, like, her set about um, her hair, right? Mm. To me, like, that's an awesome set because of how personal it is. Like, mm-hmm. that's something that's very unique to you. It's very hilarious. But it's also something that I hear and I'm kind of like, I wonder, you know, like, writing that probably took some some gusto, right? Yeah. To openly share that on stage with people. like. Um, so I remember the first time I saw her do that set, I was like, wow, that's really, but I think it had more to do with it just being personal. Cause yeah. that's what I love. I love people who can get personal. Like yeah. that's, that's what, um, I remember talking to my friends back home and they were like, uh, not even my friends back home. I remember talking about roommates, like going out to a show and being like, yeah, so-and-so was so funny. And they'll be like, what'd they talk about? And I'm just like, <laughs> 
And I'm not even lying to them. It's like, no, they really are funny. Yeah. I couldn't tell you what they talked about because yeah. I watched eight other comedians tonight. But... Yeah. There, there's, like, I feel bad. There's, like, a lot of people like that where I see someone, I enjoy their act so much. And, like, typically, this is how you, th- for anyone listening, this is how you talk to a comedian. Okay, if unless they're like fucking famous, then I have no idea. But like most comedians you see at an independent show, if you watch their set and you see a joke you really like, all you got to do is come up to them after the show and be like, hey, man, I really like the joke. This joke about this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really that punchline was amazing. That's like that's it. But yeah. there's sometimes that you watch someone and you're so swept up in it that you're like, oh, that whole thing was hilarious. I don't. I can't remember a single joke. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I, there's like jokes I specifically remember from certain people. Yeah. That stand out to me because they're either super original. It's usually that's what it is. Usually it's usually yeah. just original. Um, the we, You talked about Josh Johnson earlier. He has a joke about fainting. You know, yeah. that one stands out so much. And for me, what, what really sealed it in my memory mm. was the first time I shot, saw him. I got hired to do photography for that show mm-hmm. and I caught him when he was pretending to faint on stage and he was <laughs> yeah. wa- wobbling his legs in and out. And I was like, this is so hilarious. Oh, <laughs> like, he's great it. physically. Yeah. He's great physically. He has, oh, a, yeah. he has, a, he has a strong presence. Um, so you're, you're like kind of gently getting into comedy right gently, now. You're yeah, working on it. Gently, yeah, yeah. So this is like, cause you, I'm also, um, sorry. Uh, because for me, it's like, I'm coming from a place where I have an art that I'm very comfortable with. Right, right. You know, like, I'm not going to bore people with, like, talking about the craft of acting. But, like, that's something that, like, I understand. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, the same way there's comedians who understand the structure of a joke. Yeah. Like, I understand the structure of building a character, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, I'll be great at it, but, like, I understand it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I like I can sit down and be like, you know, someone can give me a script and I can be like, all right, I know where to start on this. Yeah. I know, like, what I'm doing here. Where with comedy... And I just bought two books. I bought the Comedy Bible by Judy Carter, and yep. I and I bought um, a Serious Guide to Writing Funny by Sally mm. Holloway. Because uh, that's something that like I, I people who can just jump into it, like I applaud them. I think mm. that takes a level of confidence I don't have. Yeah, because I'm some I'm one of those people. It's like I can do it, but I have to feel like prepared. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Like I would never just stand up on stage and like riff or something like that. Yeah, or like that's my favorite. <laughs> I'd be terrified. <laughs> I hear stuff, stories like that. Like, yeah, he was just riffing. I'm like, what? Like, I could never. Uh, I, I'm like, that. that is my highest form of stand-up comedy. Is like, for me, I know that when I can get to the riffing, that's where I crush. And like, I host our open mic. My thing with hosting is between every comedian, I riff on their set just for like a minute. Yeah. And just building up all that time riffing. There's times when in sets, I just riff for like, like okay, when you saw when you saw when at the show we met at, mm-hmm. I I riffed the first three and a half minutes or something. Mm-hmm. It went okay, but it's like I have fun doing that. Mm-hmm. And when you riff and you hit a good laugh, like a good punchline, it's like yes, like yes. I can just not do my homework and still <laughs> ace the exam. <laughs> yeah, that's how it feels. But yeah, I under I totally understand the preparation, especially for newer people. Like, well, also just you got you got to write, and I also think that long term it's a shortcut. Yeah. I think that there's, you know, a lot of comedians out here who just kind of do it. Yeah. But I think that if you can, especially if you're new, if you can, like, try to give yourself, first of all, just an education, like, how to structure a joke. Mm -hmm. Right? Because then you can fit the material in there. Right. it's it's, For me, it's like, I have stuff I've written, but there's no structure to it. So it's just like, there's no way of knowing. Like, Mm -hmm. is it funny? Is it not? And then if it is funny, 
or if it's not funny, I wouldn't know why. Right, right. But, you know, like that's the issue. It's like you could laugh or not laugh. I won't know why though. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like I've talked to comedians here in New York where they have that understanding of structure where they can be like, um, one of them was at the show we met, uh, mm-hmm. Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter, like he's one of those guys who yeah. like can hear a joke and be like, "Oh, if you move this around, or if you do this, this actually adds." Did it? I yeah. remember talking to Josh about something, and he was like, "Yeah, if you add a tag here, that'll help because like they can break it down in a way where you're just like, it's like math." You, it, you know, it, yeah, it, yeah. it becomes like geometric after a while. Yeah. Like it's like you, you see like how the joke is like, like shaped in terms of like its energy level. Mm-hmm. Like you can see like groups of three things. You can see like the twists and the yeah. dips and like, so the three things that's when I picked up on just watching. Yeah. Right. Uh, which is the benefit. I think us being the same in the way we watch stuff. Like if you just rewatch something mm-hmm. is you do learn from it without even meaning to. Yeah. So like the three things was something I'd already seen. And then uh, what else? Like callbacks. Yeah, I, I'd already noticed. Like yeah. comedians really love to end their shows with callbacks. People, um, people love callbacks. They too. do. They just and eat not that even shit up. that. So I noticed that watching comedy. Then I started noticing in conversations. Yeah, they work great in conversations. Too. Yeah, like you're in a group of people talking, and then someone calls something back. It's like, oh, that's just like a great exactly skill. Um, stuff like that. But like, man, even just reading a little bit of this, like, uh, serious, uh, serious guy they're writing funny. Like the first chapter is about puns. Yeah. And just seeing how deep you can go into writing puns mm-hmm. was just like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you just, yeah. you know, you don't even know how deep the hole is. It's just like, not you, but like yeah, me yeah, coming yeah. into it. It's like, I just had no idea how deep the hole goes. Cause you're just like the first chapters on puns. I mean, whatever. It's like, Oh, it's, it's mind blowing how extensive it is. Like yeah. on the surface people, when you absorb stand up and watch stand up, you go, Oh, these people just practice jokes and they write, they wrote jokes and they practice them and they perform them. And it's like, no, 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 no. no. It's like every one of those jokes takes like a long time to perfect. And there's so much trial and error and like analysis and rewriting. It's a lot. And you don't see that. I think it's the same in acting too, right? Most yeah. You look at acting from far, so like, oh, they just memorize their lines and yeah. walked up there. But what, what, what got me about acting is like when I interviewed Ryan O'Toole about acting mm-hmm. is I didn't, I never thought about this, that, Yes, you're given lines, but the actor is the one who improvs the body language and the vibe and like what they choose to do with their actions outside of the scripted things to mm-hmm. make it more real. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I had no idea that acting actually involved like thinking. <laughs> I yeah, just thought it, it was lines. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's the same way how you said people view comedy. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. The, the thing about if you're such a great artist, right, is like, let's talk about singing, right? Yeah. When Beyonce hits like a crazy note, when she's performing, she makes it look effortless, right? Like, Beyonce's not, you know, like, you know, some people, you see them saying they're really trying. Yeah, right? yeah, But yeah. she can do it, and it's just so, it's like she's just talking to you. She opens her mouth, and just this beautiful note comes mm-hmm. out. It's effortless, right? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, great actors like Robert De Niro, Meryl Streep, people mm-hmm. like that, Denzel, like, they look, that's why people think it's so easy. Yeah. they make it look so effortless. But even people who don't follow acting, you know when you're watching a bad actor. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. Know, you know when you're watching a shitty movie. We've all like, seen The Room. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. So, like, there, there is a, a precedent that it's not as easy as it looks. Yeah. And then acting is just, it's not a, because of all the fame that comes with it, I think, it doesn't right. get the same credibility as other art does. Yes. So, like, if you're a comedian, people are going to give a lot of comedians credit for, like, oh, they wrote all that stuff, and they work so hard, and they grind mm. everywhere. But if you're an actor, I think people really do think it is as easy as, like, memorizing lines and being pretty. So right, They're right. just like, that's all they did. Um, but no, there's a whole, I mean, yeah, man, we could sit here and go deep into, yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we could go deep into the craft. I uh, was, I was listening to, um, 
Conan O'Brien's podcast. Yeah. And I don't really I don't really like it. Conan a lot O'Brien of times. needs a friend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Here's my okay. Here's my beef. Great guests, but my problem is the interview with the guest is probably only 40 minutes. And that's not nearly enough time to learn anything. To learn yeah. good stuff. And Conan loves the attention so much that he will dominate these interviews. And I'm like, let the fucking person speak. But he was talking to Brian Cranston. Mm-hmm. I listened to that yeah, yeah. episode and I was like, Brian Cranston said he had not worked any job besides acting since he was 25, but it probably took him another 20 years before he got on Malcolm in the Middle. Then, like another, like it was like another, you know, mm-hmm. five years, six years after that, that he got Breaking Bad, and then he blew up after a 40 year career. I'm like, holy shit! Blew up, but he'd been working that whole time. Yeah, he'd um, been working and practicing. Mahershala Ali, who a few years ago had like a really big year. Uh, House of Cards, Moonlight. Um, he was the bad guy in Luke Cage. Okay. Uh, Cottonmouth. Haven't uh, seen it. Haven't I'm seen sorry. it. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus. Um, anyways, he's a, he's a, he's a great actor, and uh, he's like in his forties and like really popped up. Like got the House of Cards. Wasn't even a main. Like he was a side character. Like in House of Cards, he's like in his at forty something. Yeah. Um. But that's another thing, especially for people like whoever listens to this about art that people don't understand about performance art is that. I'm pretty sure, like, everyone wants to be A-list, right? In a perfect yeah. world, like, it's just, I mean, why even pretend, right? People who say they don't, it's just, I don't even trust them. But, like, um, it's like, <laughs> come on, everyone wants to be rich and famous. But yeah. uh, most people are realistic enough to know that that's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So then people who really follow comedy as far as wanting to do it or acting or both, right? Yeah. I think um, you look at people like Brian Cranston yeah. or in comedy, a Leslie Jones, right? Mm-hmm. Um or even the people we we've seen here in New York, yeah. Where outside of COVID, this is what they do. Like yeah. they're touring. I've never heard of them, yeah. Till I moved here, but it's the, it's the same way with a lot of acting actors mm-hmm. too. Is there's a lot of actors like my friend Tosin who's on Empire. Like he doesn't do anything but act, and it's been like right. that since he graduated college. Yeah. But he's not someone anyone would ever hear, hear of. And right, then, right. Like most of the comics we see at open mics that like outside of COVID they'd be touring are people that you know you'd never hear of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I think it's crazy with like but oh, they're working. With open mic people and like some people, I'm like, they have spent like the last three or four years just hustling and doing shows and grinding and go to mics and like they're not household names, but I'm like, if I could like, there's some people where I'm like, if I could give these people an opportunity, like if if like a powerful person came to me and was like, mm-hmm. who are the comedians that should be like famous now? Mm-hmm. There's like 20 people. I wouldn't even know how to pick because I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> they all work so hard. <laughs> but it's um. So that's something I actually do want to talk to you about. I want to hear your opinion on this. It's yeah. interesting, right? Is um like something that is intimidating when you moved here. Yeah. Right. Is even then because you you moved here how recently? So I moved here in July two thousand and nineteen. Two thousand nineteen. So two years ago. So, so I got like seven months before the pandemic. Okay. So hit. so even you, because how old are you now? Huh? How old are you now? Twenty six. Twenty. So we're the same age. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna be twenty seven this year. Exact same age. Okay. And yeah. so uh we um yeah, so there's that intimidation, right? So you moved here two years ago of like so yeah. twenty four, it's like I had the intimidation too moving here at twenty six, where it's like Yeah, man, I feel feel like I should have moved here when I was eighteen, right? Yeah. You meet so many young younger people that are doing it. Yeah. Um but then what I realized when I moved here is I think it was a blessing to move here older. Yeah. Cause I think you have a little bit more maturity, you're a little bit more focused. Yeah. Um, because I meet a lot of people like how you said, they've been here such and such years. And I meet some people that it's like, oh, that's crazy. Like, I see you all the time. I'm surprised, like, more is not going on. But then there's yeah. other people, they say they've been here such and such years. 
and it's kind of like I can see it, like mm-hmm. that lack of work ethic, or like there's a difference between showing up and like being present. Yeah, you know, because there's comics who I've seen here who already it's like they do the 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 exact same sets over and over and over, yeah, and, over yeah. and over 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 and it's mm. like that's cool if you're still working on it you're still mining it like that but then I've also seen other comedians like the people you talk about where I'm mm. like they should be somewhere from the time I've been here like they're already turning over yeah you know and there's maybe a joke that didn't work and they just kind of like all right whatever yeah. <laughs> but like they're turning over and like I, that's a difference I notice already because mm. there's certain people where I've been to open mics and it's been the same set yeah for four months now without any like Mm-hmm. There, there's some people who like stay with a set for a long time and yeah, that, yeah. that can be bad but there's like a lot of people you'll find everyone has their own cycle with jokes like I've mm-hmm. talked about this a lot on the podcast for me my my cycle is about like one to two months like mm-hmm. I have a joke I really love I write a joke I'm like oh my god I tell that joke everywhere for the next month kind of work it out feel it out yeah, yeah. and then after that month I'm like I hate telling this joke and I stop telling the joke, move on to something else or just like have a period, like a month where I'm like depressed. Mm-hmm. I don't have any, any new material. <laughs> and then a couple months down the line, I go, Oh, that joke was really funny. I should tell that again. And so it's like kind of this push and pull between like, you want good base material, but you want to develop new things, but you won't develop new things if you keep telling your good a material. So you right. got to push yourself. And that's, that's where I really then, like riffing is just like, I like going up there and just, just shit in the bed, just seeing what yeah, comes yeah, yeah. out, talking about whatever. Cause a lot of times I will get material from my riffs that I can tell later mm-hmm. or like my, like I don't write a joke ahead of time. I have a premise and something funny about it. And then you work it out and I work it out on stage, which mm-hmm. people say is a bad way to write. I agree, but it gives me the, like when I talk out loud with it, that's when it like can form. And I'm like, Oh, here's the logical direction that it takes when I actually tell it to someone to be funny. I can see how that way works. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. That you have an idea and then saying it out loud. Because, I, I mean, I have done open mics before. So, it's like, I know what it's like to have something in your head that you think works a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then you can, like, hear yourself saying it out loud. And b- before you even get the reaction, you're just like, that's not how I envisioned it even sounding coming yeah. out of my own mouth. So, it's exactly. like, I can see what you're saying there. And then also, yeah, I mean... Also, man, it's probably so hard just to come up with like a base set <laughs> that it's like it takes a while. It yeah, takes yeah. Like, like why wouldn't you stick with it? You know, I think so. I've been doing like this August. It'll be my three year mark in stand up. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I think when I hit probably sometime last year during the summer at the end of the summer, maybe in the fall. That's when I felt like, oh, I have like a good catalog of jokes mm-hmm. that like I, I have like a good I can do a great five up to probably 15 minutes because I have like some more wordy jokes but you kind of collect these jokes along the way it's mm-hmm. like okay you start stand up you write let's say you write 10 10 quick jokes mm-hmm. you're gonna find that one of those jokes is like oh that actually is kind of funny maybe i'll hang on to that and then that one becomes like your baby where it's like this is the joke i'm working on and then over the course of months especially when you're first starting it kind of develops into something good and then after a while you have a fully formed joke and then along the way you've also picked up a couple more 
And there's certain jokes that will stay with you for years. And there's certain jokes that you will tell once and never again. But it's all kind of just like... It's also like up to you, right? Because like I know yeah. Chris Rock turns over his material. But then like the famous thing is that Seinfeld just like is always mixing in old stuff. Yeah, he... Yeah. I mean... He's greatest hitting it. Yeah, just, he totally does. Yeah, he, yeah. he writes new stuff, but... Like his last special that came out, I was like, this is just okay. Like, I'm not crazy about it, but you got to like, when I look at material, Mm -hmm. I look at, okay, how funny is it? If it's really funny, it's great. If I think it's really funny, great. And then two, does it, is it true to who I am? Mm -hmm. Like, because I've written really funny jokes before that really taken a step back and be like, you know. That's not really me, mm-hmm. and that's that's what has eliminated what that do joke. You, so I'm curious about that. Like, how how is that just for you? Yeah, because I, I I have met comics already who their on stage persona is not them. Yeah, I think there's some like uh, if you listen to two episodes ago, listeners, um, like my friends Jack and Matthew, they do mm-hmm. character comedy where they literally okay. dress up in like weird costumes and they do sets mm-hmm. that as these characters, okay. and it's like it's like kind of. It's like sketch plus stand up. It's okay. weird. So they're totally not themselves, but it's hilarious. Then, but for me, but like, everyone's like in on the fact that they're right characters. Right? Yeah, and but there are some people who have like a certain stage persona that's like different than who they are. Right, that's fine. I I find I'm the funniest when I'm the most natural. So mm-hmm. my comedy process is like breaking down who I am on stage to just be like vulnerable and like Mm -hmm. emotional and just be myself because that's when i'm like if you can you're like the audience will connect with me when they understand who i am and Mm -hmm. they won't understand who i am unless i say things the way i would say them tell jokes like who i am and what i think like and that gives me that connection and then i can bring what's funny about me yeah because especially like where you're at where you don't have the luxury of like having an audience that's tailored for you either right right you know so yeah. it probably does help to just be yourself and be like, whether you guys accept me or not, like, this is what I got going on. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's kind of, it's funny, like, during the pandemic, this is something that, like, I've talked to other comics with who are in relationships. Yeah, yeah. It's like, a lot of us have ended up writing jokes, like, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, but the nature of the thing is, is that we're all locked inside of their significant mm. other. This is what we have for material. That was your bit. Okay. Yeah. yeah and so... I was I was hosting this show a couple weeks ago, outdoor show. Well, you know, indoor outdoor in one yeah, of those yeah, ridiculous yeah. outdoor dining things. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> there was a group of like ten people right next to the stage who were there for the show, and there was a group of like four to the left. Mm-hmm. And I was just doing crowd work to kind of warm them up. And I was like, oh, like who's single? Right. No one at this table raises their hand. And I was like, you guys are all in relationships. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, you guys are my people. I'm gonna do <laughs> here we go. I'm doing a bunch of girlfriend material. I don't care. And they just ate this relationship material up yeah. where normally I like tiptoe around. I'm like, okay, here's my stuff about me. Here's a little bit of relationship stuff. And here's some off the wall for the end. You mm-hmm. know, instead of like picking and choosing, I was like, you guys are getting all my A grade relationship, relationship stuff. You guys will get it. Here you how, go. How is that for you and Leland? Oh, it's, it's interesting. Is it weird? No, I think. Well, okay. We, when we started going out, like we didn't tell anyone we were dating we only told close friends we were dating and that was after uh, a month and a half and then the the general stand-up community why the secrecy if you don't mind me asking okay so dating and stand-up comedy is like a weird thing like some comics like never date other comics some comics like it's fine the thing what it is is so people who are jaded and people who aren't jaded yeah well yeah, yeah. yeah and the thing is here it is is like 
I always thought that people who are not emotionally mature people mm-hmm. who can't handle like just dating someone and being genuine yeah. will have falling out with people and then you are stuck around basically like it's like dating coworkers cuz you're going to see the same people in the scene all the time you're going to cross paths with them mm-hmm. so if you can't be like civil and you guys break up you're going to be like that person if if you do something shitty if you're not a good person the the person that you hurt has free reign to write as many jokes as they want about their ex who everybody knows so if you're like if you're a comedian dating another comedian and you're not like a good person or emotionally mature person you're gonna be burning bridges left and right with relationships but like for us we kind of we talked about it early on we were like like we wanted to be more like long-term and established before mm-hmm. we like told people just in case there was any messiness. Mm-hmm. But like early on, we we're like, okay, if we break up, like we respect each other. We were friends before this. Like, let's not shit talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only time we get to shit talk is if one of us cheats on the other person, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> which probably won't happen, but <laughs> probably it, de- it definitely <laughs> won't happen. So it's just like this thing where it's like, I don't know. It's, it's like anything, but the the dating within comedy is like an iffy topic for a lot of people. Some comedians refuse to date comedians. Mm-hmm. Some comedians are like anyone who's not a comedian is fucking boring. Like that's that's what I was gonna say. I could see why to me I think it would make sense that comedians would date other comedians. Yeah, I, I do think that um, comedians are definitely like a, a unique sort of monkey. Like, yeah, well, there's, I, there's something diff- I can tell you like just doing the acting stuff and then being around comedy like it is mm. is, is a different type of human being. Yeah. They're both crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but it's different. It's different types. If you want to perform in front of people, you're crazy. Yeah. But like something's wrong. But like, <laughs> as someone who likes to perform in front of people, yeah. something's wrong with you. Something's broken. But uh um yeah, it's it's a different type of crazy. Well, I'm sure actors date other actors. That's probably Yeah. I know theater kids. Yeah, I know yeah, the- theater yeah. kids fuck. <laughs> 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 yeah um <laughs> what, what's your what's your i we talked about this on um literally the second episode of this podcast i yeah. had my friend lucas arnold on who is a voice actor he did theater in college mm-hmm. and he's also a comedian and we talked mm-hmm. about the differences between actors and comedians what are what are your assessment like what was what's your uh compare and contrast between actor types and comedian types. I, th- I think the compare and the tra- contrast goes hand in hand because I was actually thinking about this yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was, what was yesterday? Yeah, yesterday I was about to write and I was thinking about it, about how, um, as an actor, one of the first like you ever take an acting class, right? One of the first things they're going to teach you is to be observant mm-hmm. of how people are. Yeah, that's why a lot of actors you talk to make like unnecessarily strong eye contact. Yeah, because it's, it's <laughs> you're, you're taught that like you're taught to like really take in people. Yeah, because yeah, that's yeah. what you're doing. Right. Okay. It's imitating people. Right. So you know that's why you can see bad acting because it's like all bad acting is is you as a viewer saying somebody wouldn't really react like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or that's not what anger looks like. Right. It's stuff like that. That's where because that's where it's bad acting. Even if you're not even into acting, you can look at it because you know what somebody looks like when they get angry. So you see someone hamming it up, you're like, that's not. Yeah. You know. Um. And then same with comedy. Mm -hmm. Is I've never taken like a comedy class, but I'm pretty sure like if you're writing jokes, you're taking notes down, whatever. Like your whole life is about observing. Yeah. Um. So I think fundamentally it's the same. Where where the contrast happens is that in acting you're observing to imitate. Yeah. And observing to maybe learn just about humans and how they act. Um. Where in comedy you're observing to find the funny in it. Right. Right. And that's the difference. Yeah. 
is that actors, people who like take it quote unquote seriously, whatever they uh, are, <laughs> 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 yeah, pretentious. But uh, like actors take it seriously or whatever, take the craft seriously. Like they really want to do it. Um, they're gonna try to take in the world around them to learn about. People, yeah, yeah, right. They're not looking for the funniness in it though. Right. Whereas I think comedians are taking in the world and they're really looking at the irony of it. Yeah. At how ridiculous it is. Right. Mm. So that's how that's how I'll, I'll phrase it to end it is. I think actors are really kind of looking for the, like, what makes life what it is. Right. Not quite the meaning, but, like, what is the, like, why are people the way they are? Why is things the way they are? Yeah. Whereas I feel like a lot of comedians are just kind of observing the world like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. You know? That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, this is ridiculous. Like, yeah. I think uh, one, one thing that Lucas mentioned in actors versus comedians uh-huh. is active actors are a bit more vain where comedians are like, I don't give a shit. Like <laughs> just comedians will go up on stage in like sweatpants and a hoodie and be like, here's my jokes. And actors will be like much more serious about physical appearance. I have an interesting opinion on that. Yeah. We're both just as self-conscious yeah. about our appearances. <laughs> It's just about fitting into the appearance that you think is going to help you best in what you're doing. Hmm. No one wants to see a really pretty comedian go on yeah. stage, right? We hate, um, we hate hot comedians. <laughs> no, that's known. But like you hear, yeah. I've heard like established comedians and podcasts talk about like, you know, comedy is not a thing for like super attractive people. Like they, yeah. I think it's already against you. People, for whatever reason, when they find people attractive, they don't necessarily find them funny. Right, right. You know? Um, or it's just hard to know if you're funny because if right. you walk on stage and everyone likes you already, they could just like, especially the females, they're just going to laugh, whatever. So it's yeah. like, you have no idea if you're funny or not. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say is this, is that actors feel a lot of pressure to l- be vain and look a certain way because we all watch movies and we all have an idea of what it means to be an actor, what, yeah. you, what you should look like, mm-hmm. right? Which is a very vain, traditional, like whatever. We also watch comedies. Right. And know about famous comedians. And it's not a mistake that all the comedians I see dress like established comedians. Because yeah. we have an idea of... You know, what I'm trying to say in a long roundabout way is that I think a lot of comedians... It's not that they don't care. Mm-hmm. It's that they're, they're, that's their character. They're putting that yeah. on. They're, they're showing you they don't care. Hmm. Interesting. Know? I'm a comedian, so I have to show that you know i can dress baggy and i don't give a fuck and you know i'm whatever and yeah yeah, i'm a nerd like whatever like you know it's like all this like extra stuff to like prove that you're like to prove that you're confident with yourself right yeah which is no different than an actor who's going through all these things to try to look a certain way yeah it's all just about trying to prove yourself that's true i guess it's like very subconscious like I think I think about fashion a lot like i'm not i'm not a super like fashionable dude but like especially in like New York city, the role fashion plays in people's personas and what they're trying to do. Like for me, I'm like, okay, comedians, when I like, whenever comedians dress a certain way, like at shows, I'm like, yeah, comedians want to look like good on stage, but look like relatable. You know, we got the drip sometimes, but like just casually, like I'm literally like what I'm wearing now is what I wear to like open mics and shows. I'm Mm -hmm. just like track pants, hoodie, maybe a, but you're not, you're not like schlubby. You don't you know, think so? That's good. That's no, because you know, like, your hoodie fits. You're wearing, yeah, yeah, pants. You have cool socks. Yeah, I got. Yeah, I'm wearing the slippers, you, the fuzzy wearing, slippers. Right? Yeah, now. you're wearing fuzzy <laughs> slippers. Like you don't look like a bum. Yeah, you know. Whereas, like some people, I feel like they try to put on the bum look. Yeah, you know, I, I really do. I think it's like a look. Yeah, they would never say that. Yeah, but I think some of them, it's like 
they feel like what they know what their lane is and they're committing to it. See, I think uh, it's like uh, Chris Farley, right? Chris yeah. Farley hated the fact that everyone loved him just because he was big and fat. Yeah, but he knew that was his lane. Mm-hmm. So then there was a part of him that felt like he had to commit to that. Yeah. So when Chris Farley, you know, David Spade's telling stories about Chris Farley eating like three steaks and bread and all this yeah. extra shit, like maybe in person it seems like oh he's comfortable being big, mm-hmm. but then we know afterwards that he was the opposite. That he felt like yeah. that was something he, he could not be funny without, mm-hmm. right? And so I think there's a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think I think it's just like so much about how we relate to people too, and one and thing how that, visual we are. One, yeah, totally. Yeah, one yeah. thing that's been driving me crazy lately, I've been I don't know what I my final thoughts are about it, but just this like thrift vintage culture that's like so big here. It's so huge in New York City, and just in general amongst the youth, it's just like. People just want like all this vintage shit. They want to wear like mom jeans that Mm -hmm. are like short, Mm -hmm. like chunky ass shoes and like just weird sweaters and like jackets and stuff. Oh, I've been to downtown Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have decided that I kind of hate it because it doesn't it doesn't feel genuine. Like or like the vans they buy that like already dirty. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, I I also have just a hatred now for Doc Martens because I think everyone throws Doc Martens on and they're like, I did something like that's first of all where I'm from. I'm sure somewhere to Colorado. That's not a thing. It's it is a little bit like there's not a Doc Martens store. (laughs) I'm pretty sure in Kansas City. Yeah, there's not a Doc. You probably buy them, but there's not like a Doc Martens store. And I never saw these black boots on all these girls' feet until I moved here. It's it's insane. Even like dudes, I just feel like. People, people, the dirty vans. In the is dirt- what I see of the dudes. It's like the dirty white van, like the um, the high tops. Oh yeah, that yeah. are kind of like canvas, mm-hmm. and they have like a little bit of dirt. Like yeah. I got some real dirty slip-on vans over there, but those ones, year like a year and a half, are just beating the shit out of those things. Like, and not even intentionally. I just like. So you earned it. Yeah, I, yeah when yeah. when <laughs> when I buy new van slip-ons and they're white. It bothers me. Oh, it's and like I wear them until they're dirty, and then I go, "Okay, okay." So now it is a look. Fine. It is a look. It, yeah, yeah. It is a look, but well, I, I don't like looking like too polished. Like I put in effort. You see, my shoes that I walked in here today, those Nike boots. Yeah, um, yeah. Same way. Mm-hmm. I like them more now mm-hmm. that they have like a little scruff on the toe and the sides, and like it's peeling. Like it looks, it gives it character. You know? Yeah, and I do see the allure of that in New York City. Something I, up, something about the city looking broken down makes you almost want to look broke down, you know? <laughs> for me, it's literally for me, it's just that I look at new white shoes and I go, they're too white. It's if, too white. <laughs> if, if I walk, like, there's some people, I wa- if I walk down the street, there's some people who are like, I want my Jordans to be so fucking white. Like, mm-hmm. they want to walk down the street and have people immediately look at their feet. I want Republican Jordans. Yeah. If, <laughs> <laughs> if I walk down the street in yeah, brand yeah. new white vans, I'm like, please don't look at my feet. Please don't. Like, just, yeah, just yeah, wait yeah. a couple months. Like, I don't want anything to stand See, out. And the shoe culture here surprises me. It's because so you're going to you're going to get dirty. It's it, New the York. city is filthy. It's filthy. And also, there's so many people here that who is even paying attention? Yeah. And you, you know, know, you know, what I saw for the first time this blew my mind. A dude parked his car, went into his trunk and then pulled out a shoe box with his clean white shoes in the back. And I was like. People do this. I didn't know that they did this. I was like, that's so smart. Because then you'd have to commute with your shoe not, shoes on. But also, like, the effort here. You're rolling. Black men. I mean, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that sounds, that sounds like sounds like my team. But, yeah. like, I just, 
it's 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 so bizarre to me. And like I was telling my my friend Mo, he was on an episode yeah, of this. De Niro. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a kind of a sneaker head yeah, and a little yeah, bit. Yeah. He appreciates shoes. And he, huh. after I saw this dude do it, I watched Mo do it. He he he's like, I'll give you a ride home from the show. I was like, okay, cool. We go to his car and he takes his shoes off and puts them in the trunk and pulls out an old pair. And I was like, you do that? And he's like, yeah, it just keeps them clean. You know, I only wear these ones for shows. And like, dude, I, yeah, okay, where I'm from in Denver. Is a very white area. Mm-hmm. There was no shoe culture North, ever. South, East. I was in uh, Arvada, so I was in like really West Denver, like almost near the mountains. Yeah, near the okay, mountains. Yeah, yeah. You ne- see, I left West out because I was like, <laughs> it's only mountains there, man. <laughs> yeah, no, not not. Um, I can't even remember the name. People, people at home are gonna hate me for this, but is it, oh the Western Slope? That's like the other side, but mm-hmm. yeah, not over there. But yeah, like Denver. But there was no shoe culture. Like kids. They didn't care. I mean, when I was growing up, what was what was cool was getting those like chunky ass like DC skate shoes with like colored okay. laces. Yeah. Like that hey, was yeah, this is a white school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like that was the cool thing yeah, yeah, yeah. until about like like high school ended. And but then I like moved to New York City, especially. And I'm like, whoa, people really care about their shoes. <laughs> like, take it seriously. Yeah, they serious. Take that seriously. People, I'm sure you sure bathe in cologne here. Yeah, because <laughs> I walk down the street and I'm just like, good God, um, what else is weird about New York? Um, I, I everything. It's it's bizarre. Everything. One thing, especially like, I feel like there's there's like a pretentiousness about just dressing as basic as possible in some ways in New York. Like, I think people like the illusion that they look like like rich New Yorkers when they're not like. And especially at our age, it just bugs the crap out of me because okay. I see people yeah, yeah. with like their perfect like skinny jeans, their perfect leather boots, their perfect sweater with the collar popping out, and they're like a long brown coat. Mm-hmm. And it's like, bro, you are twenty five. You don't need to dress like you're <laughs> and a going home to man. a co op with like seven. Yeah, other exactly. Yeah, you yeah. you probably yeah. pay seven hundred a month for rent. There's yeah, probably yeah, yeah. a roach somewhere in there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. don't you're not fooling anybody. Yeah, like but that happens a lot here. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot here. You talk to certain people, and then you're like, where do you stay? Oh. Yeah. I know they dress like that there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's and like that I guess tying it back to like the vintage fashion, that's uh-huh. what kind of drives me crazy is I feel like the vintage fashion is like this pretend like artsy. Like people they want to look like they're really artsy and different, but then you see like a pack of people and you're like, you guys are all the same. You guys all live in Bushwick. I know what's going on yeah, here. Like that's um that that that's what's good in a way about New York mm-hmm. for people who want to move here and really want to do stuff to like bring it back to the arts really quick. It's like, um, most of the people that move here for like comedy and acting are those people though. Yeah. They're serious. Yeah. Like they dress seriously. Yeah. They're <laughs> yeah. serious about making you think they're serious. Yeah. You know, that, that happens a lot, but that's something I remember my friend Ashley told me when she was living in LA mm. and it's something that I've already experienced here. And then I remember, um, Matt Damon in an interview with uh, the Screen Actors Guild. It's mm-hmm. on YouTube. It's like an hour, 20 minutes or something like that. Yeah. And it's just a career conversation. It's literally called SAG Career Conversations. Mm-hmm. And he talks about when him and Affleck first went out to uh, Los Angeles. And I bring this up just to talk about. Yeah. Because th- what he said changed the way I viewed it. Yeah, yeah. Moving here is he goes, um, you know, if you, if there's a thousand actors mm-hmm. auditioning for a part. Yeah. These are, this is the exact words. Only about a hundred of them are ballers. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so I think, like, how you said people dress the part, they do yeah. that stuff. But I've realized, I've realized that even here in New York is, like, 
there's a lot of people who say they move here like in LA to do something mm. and then they act like they're doing it, right? Yeah. They post and they did it. It makes it look like they're doing it. But then there's only so many people that are like doing it. Yeah. You know, that sounds stupid, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. It's, I definitely see that. And what's crazy is like, even in comedy, it's just like when I first moved here, I was like, the comedy scene is so big. How am I ever going to remember all these people? Then like last summer, it was like with the pandemic, it just weeded everybody out. And now I'm like, okay, so there's probably 150 serious open micer comedians. (laughs) Like there's a lot of like people that kind of sifted in and out, but Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, once you're in it, you're like, okay, now I know who's the in it for the long game and who's yeah, like yeah. here for real I, I mean i found that out right away i mean i wasn't even going up i was just at shows yeah and comedians start talking to me just because i'm at the show and yeah comedians being like wait you've only been here since when yeah i'm like october they're like oh man i thought you've been here way longer i'm like really they're like we see you at all of these yeah it's just like show up if you're yeah, just show if up. you're present in comedy it matters so much just be like, present because i had um john listman yeah, yeah. in your backyard thing yeah he's he, great i love john he um yeah, he was telling me, he's like, I see you out more than, this is like a month ago, I've slowed way down. But he was yeah. like, a month ago, he was like, I've seen you out way more than I see like most people that have been here. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm here alone living in a shoebox. I'm getting out. <laughs> For real. For real. It's like, I got to get out. I got to meet some people. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Because you, when you moved here, did you move by yourself? Yep. Yeah. So same thing. Same totally. Me. I mean, yeah. my... I was set up with my roommates that I first moved in with. We had a, I had one of my good friends in Denver knew the roommates I moved in with. He's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, my buddies in New York, they're looking for a roommate. And so I like kind of had like a little bit of an in where it was like, I at least know who I'm going to live with. And they seem, they're like nice people. Mm -hmm. So that was like an easy start, but it took me a while before I like made friends in comedy. And, And before the pandemic, like I said, there was so much comedy in so many different places. It was hard to pin down like who's who, what's what. So right. it Whereas, wasn't it wasn't until I started going to somewhere regularly that I started to accumulate. Like, yeah, because even me coming out, I see the same people. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. there's certain comics I've seen like do a few things. Yeah, but it, it's how you said it. it's like it's the usual suspects. It's like yeah, I mean. I could name them, but you know what I'm talking about. It's yeah. The same people you see every show. Mm. You know, there's people who I feel like I know their sets. Like, <laughs> I yep. feel like I know their sets. <laughs> there, there's definitely, like, it's w- one, one thing that, like, normal audiences never experience that is, like, kind of magical about the comedy scene. Yeah. Is when you go to open mics and everyone knows everybody and they just, like, roast each other and do each other's yeah, bits and, yeah, like, yeah. just, it's so funny. I actually watched, like, I actually watched your girlfriend, uh, uh, scold this guy this uh uh comic because mm-hmm. he had like heckled oh yeah one of the other comics <laughs> and i just hear leland behind me hey no heckling yeah like, yep she'll call people out she's not scared yeah, she was like no heckling i was like oh shit leland means business no yeah but um yeah yeah you see it um but it's also i mean the community here is really awesome. Yeah. And For anyone who's listening who hasn't done comedy, I mean, I, I, that's the biggest surprise to me in New York so far is how yeah. nice uh, people are. Yeah. Because I had this idea that, like, New York, everyone's trying to make it so they all, you know, elbows and fists. But uh, no, like, everyone here is so nice. Yeah. That's, I, I was shocked by it too. Mm-hmm. And especially, like, in Denver comedy, it felt like because it was a smaller scene and everyone wanted to get on comedy works mm-hmm. and everyone wanted to make a name that it felt like there was a lot of gatekeeping and like people stepping on heads and trying to just get ahead. Mm-hmm. So it didn't feel friendly. Then I got here. I was like, Oh, 
there's a million ways to make an impact in your creative thing. So there's not that head stepping. There's not that like hyper competitive. Like the people who do what you do, like they're more like your friends and your collaborators. And and, and do you feel, this is like a real question. I don't have an opinion on this. Like, Mm -hmm. do you feel that um, in the digital age doing comedy that like getting past at a club has the same significance that it used to? No. It okay. does. It definitely doesn't. Yeah, because I, I was getting the feeling like that probably has a lot to do with the vibe here. Is that? Yeah, it's the thing is I think a lot of people are like, it would be an honor to be passed at like the comedy cellar. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's like the thing that's like, yeah, if you're passed just because it's amazing. the cellar, right? It's, yeah, yeah. It's a it's legendary. Yeah, yeah. It's but, like playing in the garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but I think the the future of stand up is getting blurred especially with like you know social media tiktok youtube and like especially tiktok like people post stand-up clips on there get hundreds of thousands of likes Mm -hmm. but there there's no way to monetize it there there can be if Mm -hmm. you're like regular on there but the the idea of like live comedy is like amazing and how do you get people to come out for live comedy when there's so much to just watch you know how Mm -hmm. you can watch on netflix you can watch on tiktok instagram there's clips everywhere so I think, and what you said, like comedians are like rappers, like comedians do so much. And many of them, in addition to stand-up comedy, have podcasts or they do some acting or they do sketch shows or they do improv or they do some other creative mm-hmm. thing. And it's all this like comedy world where people are trying to put out anything to make a name for themselves and get their creative creativity mm-hmm. out there. So it's not just like locking you down to just okay, I just want to be a pure stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. You always find yourself involved in other things right. or chasing other projects. Even people who work in this business, they, a lot of them don't become stand-ups. It's like writers. Right, um, exactly. Maybe you're doing like spec scripts, stuff like that. Yeah, like, and yeah. like like my, my goal, like my, my like stretch goals for like my like mm-hmm. lifestyle is it would be so, I think it would be amazing if I could be like a daytime podcaster or streamer and then just, nighttime do comedy like if i could Mm -hmm. build up my podcast or like maybe it's maybe it's this one maybe it's not but Mm -hmm. maybe some town down the road i have like a large audience Mm -hmm. i accumulate a following through the through whatever podcasting material read your ads off yeah exactly get that ad money yeah and and like get up and get out and then it's like oh if i can make that happen i would be okay with people knowing me as a podcaster Mm -hmm. who's also a comedian rather than being like i need pure stand-up to be my like monetized mm. creativity you know because just you gotta attack it from all angles and the same thing is like acting like a lot of working actors it's like you can you can be like in a local theater company where you do a couple productions in a year and mm. not many people show up for the shows mm. but if you get like two or three commercials it's like, like so oh, you're one commercial like if you yeah. get one national commercial you're set for that year yeah exactly so it's like yeah that can be your hustle is like oh maybe you really just love doing shakespeare in the park and that's your thing but every once in a while you got a connection you can book a commercial you're gold you know so it's just like the multifaceted nature Mm -hmm. of it because comedy is not just standing on stage and telling dick jokes it's Mm -hmm. writing dick jokes and dictating dick jokes Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) i like the alliteration dictating dick jokes Okay, well, we're uh, we're actually going to wrap up here, but I have one more question for you before we go. So, in your journey with theater and like easing into stand-up comedy okay. a little bit, do you have a lesson that you tell yourself or some message you stick to in your own creativity, your own process? Yeah, I'd say the message I stick to is um, 
<laughs> it's gonna get deep a little bit. I think that's okay. Whether or not this is the only life or not, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, um, it it is it, it, it's not gonna mean that much. Like either it's so like you know, there's like two sides of the coin. It's either you die and this is it, mm-hmm. so it doesn't really mean a whole lot, or you die and like most people who are religious believe like in an attorney in an eternity or a reincarnation. Mm-hmm. So no matter which way you look at it, like doesn't matter yeah <laughs> right and i think most people who get into the arts i think you kind of have that under especially if you're a comedian i think you have that underlying kind of nihilism of like it's kind of insane we exist right yeah. um so i think for me uh the the motto that i have for myself that i remind myself all the time is uh i even have it written similar to like how you guys have this little yeah. reminder written <laughs> i have it next to my desk is um there's no there there okay there is no there there and so what that means outside of just saying there three times is that uh <laughs> what that means is that um there's no final destination th- nothing's going to be what you think it's going to be. Yeah. So like so when you have, and I still do this, right? I don't want to sound like I'm enlightened. I'm yeah, not, yeah. But like I still do this where it's like once I get this this this. Right, right. I'll be happy. Once I get that. When so when I say like there's no there there, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Is like I'm still going to fool myself into thinking yeah. that there's, how you said, a destination. Right. But I'm just going to end up repeatedly throughout my whole life reaching it. Yeah. And understanding that I'm still not happy yep. and there's still more and I feel like I still need to do more. And so I try to remind myself of that yeah. to try to just enjoy it. Exactly. You know, so obviously there is a certain pressure to like be successful because you don't want to just be a bum. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be like 35 and broke. So it's like, yeah. there is that pressure. But at the same time, it's also understanding like, if I'm coming into this thinking that this is going to like fulfill a part of me. Right. I'm hoping for too much. Right. Yeah. I think, I think when you start doing these things, it does fulfill a part of you. But then as you see the distance you can go with it, then it's like the longing to be further down the road or be farther ahead. You want to think, I just think it turns into a job. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally, (laughs) And the only reason it's exciting at first is because people aren't doing it. Yeah. It's rare. Yeah. But then you get into it and all of a sudden, yeah, you've been writing jokes this whole time, but all of a sudden, we need you to write new jokes for a show we have tomorrow night at 7. Yeah. That's the deadline. Mm-hmm. Get it done. Like, you yeah. know, and <laughs> once you add that element to it, it's a job, yeah. you know? No matter how much you love it, it's still going to be a job at that point. Yeah. So No, I agree with that. And I always think, like, one thing I, like, it's kind of similar I always think about is, like, one, I don't want to be, like, before I moved to New York and I was a little bit nervous about it, I was like, I don't want to be on my deathbed one day and look back and think, man... I should have moved to New York to become a comedian. I don't ever want to have that thought. And two, like the grass, you know, it's always greener on the other side, but the grass is actually greener where you water it. And I, I, that, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know where I heard that, but I've been telling myself that a lot is, is like, you water it. it's yeah. just, okay. Yeah. It's like better over there. They have something nice that you don't, whatever. They're further ahead, whatever. But just if you keep watering your own grass, you might end up in that same place, but probably you'll end up in a different place, but mm-hmm. it's better for you. So just keep sticking to it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of yeah. what I get. <laughs> I think we said, yeah, the same thing, just in different ways. Just yeah. stick to it. And yeah, because there's no finish line. I yeah. mean, there's no like awakening <laughs> that no. happens. You know, it's not, you're not like a, for people who understand this Bible reference, you're not like yeah. Saul yeah. who all of a sudden gets blinded and then you change your name and you have this big like a, epiphany moment like you're just gonna i'm not religious by the way but you just kind of have this like you know like yeah i think i think what happens is you get excited for like that first night that you quote made it yeah and then you wake up the next day and you're kind of like 
oh, I still got to eat breakfast. Yeah. Uh, take the <laughs> trash out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think about like long-term comedians. Like mm. I knew getting into this that it was going to be a long time before I like quote unquote make it in some way. So mm-hmm. I was like fully anticipating like it's going to be like seven to 10 years. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But then it's like beyond the making it, like there are people who have been doing comedy for like 40 years. You look at like Todd Berry or Jerry Seinfeld, or these guys, it's like, I can't even admit, like, it's got to be like fucking Goku, like those people, like they're so far down the line. They've been doing it for so long. Can't even comprehend. They're probably just like, oh, yeah, this is just what I love to do. And I'm just chilling, enjoying mm. my life. Well, also, you know? how much of it is, uh, I don't know how much longer we have, but another point on that is like, how much of it do you think is, um, so like you talk about when you first start, it's fulfilling. Yeah. How much of that is because it's so much harder when you first start? You don't know what you're doing, so you're in a constant state of discovery, right? Whereas yeah. once you put your 10,000 hours into something, it's not that they don't work as hard. It's just they work smarter, right? right? Like the people you just named, yeah. I'm sure when they sit down to write a joke, like they probably are way faster at knowing whether or not it's going to work or not. Yeah, They're way faster at figuring out like, uh, what's with the structure here? You know, because yeah. they put those hours in. And yeah. so I think maybe that, dulls it a little bit you know yeah i think i think it definitely like the does. first time you had sex with someone versus the 20th time you know yeah. it's like that first couple times is really exciting yeah you're discovering it then... <laughs> yeah it's yeah, like yeah. it's like when um like i've been skiing my whole life okay yeah. and when i was a kid me and my brother used to judge our ski days by how many times we fell so mm-hmm. it's like oh we skied a whole day i only fell twice like mm-hmm. oh yeah well i only fell once and that was like <laughs> a huge deal then it was like yeah. you do a day and you're like i didn't fall a single time and now it's like in adulthood it's like oh i can go down i can ski for eight weeks like i could ski this whole season and not fall a yeah. single time yeah. but then that's kind of like then i'm skiing on autopilot and when i realized that i was like okay i want to be hucking myself down some dangerous shit yeah. i want to put myself no, to the like, test it's, it's and really, then it's like more exciting it's really those challenges that like frustrate us that like drive us though. right like you do need a little bit of resistance you know? yeah and i think with like moving here to do something mm-hmm. like if you're if you're in the routine of doing something then you move to new york city to do it more seriously you're gonna have this big hurdle of how do I meet my connections? How do I get involved in the community? Mm-hmm. And what's it like shaping up to the final thing? Mm-hmm. And that's its own like challenge as mm-hmm. a whole. So and I think you're going to be going through that a little bit. But yeah. I mean, you got classes so over this next year. People. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's exciting though. But uh, yeah, we're um, out of time. Do you have anything else you want to throw on here? Or you... uh, shout out baby goat Patrick Mahomes. Let's go Chiefs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zechariah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is a blast. Thank you, man. Good talking to you. I hope to see you in my backyard telling jokes here in the next week or so. Saturday? (laughs) Yeah, Saturday. All right. right. You have my word. (laughs) Word. Be here Saturday. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on. Um, That's it for this week. Uh, Thank you guys for tuning in. You know how you know the drill. We'll be back next week with more interview action. Um, Stay safe. Wear a helmet. Stay warm. Bye.